all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Medical Director for UMMC's Center for the Advancement of Youth. Resiliency, how do we develop it? Why do some people seem to bounce back from tragic events more quickly than others? Why do some people get stuck at a point in their life without the ability to move forward? Do you think that a parent's overprotective behavior can impair the development of resilience and self-reliance? Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and your experiences with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and today we're talking about resiliency. So I have some questions for you. How do you think we develop resiliency? And why is it that some people seem to bounce back from these tragic events, things that are so emotionally devastating to some, but they can bounce back? Why some more quickly than others? Why do some people get just stuck when something negative happens? Or they get stuck in a point in their life when they just can't seem to recover and just can't seem to move forward. Do you think that there is something that happens to us in our childhood that perhaps makes us more or less resilient? Could it be that helicopter parent? Do you think it's overprotectiveness? Is it that we are so afraid now to allow our children to fail that perhaps they don't learn how to recover from a failure? Do you think that could impair the development of the resilience and self-reliance on recovery? So I want to talk about all that, and I want to hear from you as to what you think may be the cause. Will the, the actual root causes have been looked at? But I don't think there's absolutely one absolute cause, I'll tell you. There, there, there's research out there, yes, but... Um, I don't know that anybody can say with absolute confidence why some people spring back. So let's talk about first the the definition of what resiliency really is. And basically what it is, um, it's when you're faced with a tragedy, maybe a natural disaster, a health concern, a relationship problem, a work issue, a school problem, it's... Resilience means how well a person can adapt or spring back 
like resilient objects, spring back and adapt to the uh, the events in their life. So a person with good resilience has the ability to bounce back more quickly and with less stress than someone who, say, has a lower uh, developed resiliency. And so that is one of those issues that everybody has been researchers out there. I just got back from a conference um, called Zero to Three, From Birth to Three Years of Age um, in Colorado. And the question there was, how can we instill resiliency in these young children? How, what do we need to do? How can we better equip children to spring back. So want to hear from you about your thoughts. I said, like I told you, the question is still out there, though some research has been done. But give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Well, let's go on to the phones. We have an early caller. Thanks, Zach, for calling in early in Jackson. Thank you. How are you? Doing great. Um, tell, tell us what your thoughts are about resiliency. Um, my comment is that I think it's very crucial for parents to let their children know that you can talk to them. Um, I know from my personal experience, I had a very traumatic situation happen to me, mm. and I was able to talk to my parents, and that really, I think, helped save me for myself from that situation. Uh-huh. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And, and Zach, I think you're bringing up a point that we talk about often is having someone, when something bad happens to you, to turn to. Um, there, Like I said, we don't know for sure what creates resiliency, but, but support, having good, strong parental support clearly is is one of those factors that plays a part. Zach, were, was it that your parents helped you problem-solve through the issue, or was it that they just listened to you and let you talk? Tell us kind of how um, they were supportive, in what way. Um, they were able to listen to me. They weren't really able to relate to the situation, mm-hmm. but they were able to definitely be the shoulder for me to lean on and they helped me with finding as I needed to get through my situation yeah that is one of those things that is so important and you know as we've talked through um, the adversities in life we we know that if there's an individual who has an adversity the the best road to recovery is to have someone out there to support them. And that doesn't always mean, I think we as parents so many times um, feel like we need to work on problem solving for our children. And it sounds like your parents did it right. They they lent the ear. Um, they um, let you vent what was going on and perhaps said some words as you were moving along and telling them about your issue, um, maybe some words of support on, on um, just knowing that they were there for you. That's what you're right. saying is the most important. 
Yes, ma'am. Right. Well, great, Zach. I hope you've been able to work all the way through those issues. But that, that knowing that somebody's there is is a big piece of that being able to bounce back. Thanks for starting us off. So, parents, Thank I you. guess you heard that. Zach says, um, be there for your kids and listen to what they're saying. You don't have to solve their problems for them, though. Okay, well, let's stay on the phones. Um, we have Byron in Gulfport with a comment. Good morning, Byron. I'm sorry, Brian. Brian. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I um, I work uh, with the Department of Defense, and um, uh, I've, I was deployed to Afghanistan several times with the Army. Wow. And uh, Thank so you there, for your service. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, there, was, there was lots of things that... Uh, that when um, guys would come back, some people would handle it a lot mm-hmm. better than, than others. Certain traumatic events, certain uh, uh, not not just combat related things, but also like uh, marriages breaking up while um, while they were gone, right. and, and just emotionally traumatic events uh, as well. And uh, one thing that I did notice uh, that with the guys who uh, uh, moved on and continued on with their career successfully and, and their life in general successfully as opposed to the guys who didn't handle it so well, uh, is that um, they were of the type of caliber of person that would ask for help, would reach out to others for assistance, whether it was something small like, hey, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm moving uh, apartments or dorm rooms. Can I get some people to help me out? I really need some help to, you know, even bigger events, things like that. So uh, there there was there was always a lot of, um, a lot of that that I noticed, that the uh, that people had either grown up or have been trained at a at an early age to be able to uh, notice when they needed help, mm-hmm. uh, accept help when it was offered, and uh, and and also just uh, take the uh, take the help and and try to do something productive with it, as opposed to people who were not accustomed to that. And that's what made all the difference with a lot of PTSD cases that I saw. That's really a great point, Brian. Um, that that as an individual begins to get overwhelmed um, or even before they get overwhelmed to learn how to ask for help. And I, unfortunately, um, in in our society, particularly, I think, men are encouraged to take care of themselves and to do it all themselves. And, and um, many times the way I think guys are raised, and I'd like to hear from other men about this, not, not the woman speaking here, but um, I think, though, many times people are encouraged not to ask for help, to, to prove that you can do it all by yourself. And, and that is not human nature. We thrive by support and nurturing. And so I think your point is a wonderful observance of, of what you saw in individuals who seemed to recover more quickly, maybe because they were allowed to talk about their issues. Um, maybe it was just knowing that somebody was there to pat them on the back or to pick up that heavy object that they were having difficulty with. But um, yeah. 
I think that's a really good point. And certainly our servicemen, um, when they're deployed, need all the support they can get. So um, those of you who have significant others who are deployed, remind them it's okay to ask for help. And um, Brian, I guess that um, you, are you one of those who, who help lend support to those who come and ask? Well, I, uh, I guess I, I can say that I am. Uh, yeah. There were several times where I saw that somebody was struggling, um, and uh, you know, I reached out to them, or, or in, in a in a, more, a greater capacity. For a while, I was a platoon sergeant before I got out of the army, and I would have plenty of guys that I could see that there uh, there, there was all the warning signs of them hurting uh, emotionally, mentally, you know, in their mental state, and uh, you know, their lower performance at work and right. uh, you know more isolation things like that you could you could tell you could, you could always if you're that close with your guys uh, if, if you're the kind of leader that really takes investment and in stock in your guys then you, you could definitely tell that there's something off about some of them and uh, and I tell you I tell you what uh, when when I saw those and I acted quickly uh, and they were responsive to the offer for help uh, it made the world a difference. Uh, yeah. you know, most of those guys ended up staying in the military and doing great things with their career. Uh, and then some of them even got out and went on and, and you know, uh, went into the corporate world and, and did great things as well. Mm-hmm. But then there were some that uh, were just kind of had the attitude of leave me alone. I don't need your help. I don't want your help. And uh, I'll deal with it myself. And that wasn't always a remedy for success. No, actually, that's a terrible remedy. It sounds like, though, you were really instrumental in helping some of these individuals. And that's what we need to remember is if you can be um, a person of support for an individual who going through, you can help them learn to bounce back from an adversity. Um, and and so I think as we move along and we talk more about this, um, keep in mind, listeners, that that's one thing you want to do is see how you can help individuals develop that resilience that can make such a huge difference in your life. And as, as you just said, Brian, it can make the difference in someone who ends up being really successful successful and someone not because they get so stuck. So thanks for your call and thanks for your help. Thank you. With the armed services. We really appreciate it. Well, let's go to our first break. And when we get when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about who really does have resilience. Does everybody have it? And another question I'm going to throw out to you to mull over and give us a call about what you think during the break as um Do you think that children need to fail, individuals need to fail to be able to develop their resilience? I want to hear from you about what you think about that. You can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We're talking about raising an individual who can be resilient and self-confident. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about resilience. Um, how do you get it? What is it? And and um, why do some people have more than others? So everyone has resilience. It's just a question of how much and how well you put it to good use in your life. Resilience really doesn't mean that the person who has um, experienced the adversity, um, which which might be um, a, a weather event, it might be a divorce, it might be a death, it might be an illness. It doesn't mean that they don't feel the intensity of the event, event or the problem. It just means that they found a good way to deal with it and to not let it destroy them, not let it pull them down. And we heard from a, a couple of early callers um, about some some things that maybe help. Um, for example, having someone there, having someone there as uh, a support. But one issue that we do know is that some individuals will not allow that support to happen. And, and I, I often question why. What happens in our lives that makes us think, that we always have to solve the problem ourselves. that you don't have to go ask for help, that counseling or asking for someone to give you some support is a sign of weakness. Do you think that we are raising individuals that way? I, I begin to wonder. I know I said earlier in the show that that I do believe that burden often is put on men, but I also think that women are um, feeling an increasing burden of that because they're trying to prove themselves in the workplace and, and prove themselves as equal. Um, I wonder what you think about that as we're moving along. Um, and the other question that I threw out during the break, and I still want to hear from you, uh, listeners, is do you think it's important for children to fail at things so they can learn to recover? Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So we we talked a little bit about um, the the question about failure. Is it good for kids? Does it build resilience? Um, now think about it as an individual yourself. If you try to do something and you fail, and you try again and you fail, and you don't have anybody there supporting you, and you don't have anybody helping you to maybe work through the failure what happens? Do you keep trying? Now, maybe there's some of you out there who do, but the majority of us, after a couple of failures, perhaps we quit trying in that area. And so um, it's not so much, I asked you earlier, do children need to fail over and over and over again? Um Theoretically, probably not so much. Resilience doesn't 
necessarily come from failing, but it comes from learning the experience, um, learning from your experiences and learning to be able to pick yourself up, to try again and to succeed. So, yeah, you have to have some negative experiences to figure out um, how to rebound a bit. But but the true way we develop resilience, we believe, is to, to learn what you need to do to sort of pull yourself back up. Um, so if you can pull yourself back up and master things, then once you feel like that, oh, I've got this, then what happens? Then you work on it over and over and over again, and so you can build on that. Um, So continual failure may set up a cycle of lack of confidence, giving up, and more failure. So now occasionally you'll see that individual who, who, who can reach out and ask for help. So yes, maybe they start having some adversity, but they don't fall all the way into failure because um, they were able to reach out and grab a hand from somebody else. Um, just thoughts, do you feel like... As you have moved through life, do you and and helped a growing child, whether your own or another individual or a friend? Um, do you? How do you feel like you help them out? Do you feel like you help build on, um, helped a child keep from that continual failure? What did you do, or? Did you let the child think that everything they did was good and that nothing was a failure? Do you believe that protecting a child from that is a good thing? Um, Often we're told as parents that we're overprotecting our child and um, they don't gain confidence from learning how to handle things for themselves. So there is a balance there um, between allowing yourself to step back and remembering that you can't save your child from everything versus um, being there so that they can never learn that they can do something on their own. So I, I hear this often. Parents are so afraid that the child won't make a team or won't be in the popular group, or won't get to go to a birthday party, or will hear something negative about themselves from a teacher, that they jump in and save them over and over again. And what I'm saying is um, many times in those cases, it's thought that if you don't let a child step through some sort of adversity, Um, that they may not learn how to deal with adversity and may not believe that they can problem solve on their own. So um, do you feel like perhaps your life was held back um, by a parent who was always there too much? Did you find that you had to push back? Or are you a parent who is working hard not to hover because you want to protect your child from everything, but you are trying to step back? Um, 
I I think we talk a lot about helicoptering, um, and I guess my question to you is: a helicopter parent, somebody who hovers more than you do, is a helicopter parent, um, somebody who just does that step over you, or um, do we all tend to hover a little bit? I don't know. I think um, as a good parent, you want to protect your child, but at the same time, it's important to know they need to to be able to problem solve. So join in the conversation. I want to hear what your thoughts are about resiliency and why some people are better at recovering than others? Or do you feel like there's something sometimes that your friend or family might do that holds you back? You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Um, When we come back, I want to talk about some of the ways that we can help um, build confidence, how we can maybe work on hitting that sweet spot as we're working with children, um, what we need to do to perhaps push them along without smothering them. But also, what do you do with an adult who can't seem to recover? Um, This is Relatively Speaking. We're talking about resilience. We'll come back maybe with some ways to solve problems, but I want to hear from you. So give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking, and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Today we're talking about resiliency. How do you develop it? How do you help others develop that resiliency? So do you think kids of today are less confident than they used to be? Um, There's not a lot of convincing research to support that, but... It does appear that if children always have everything planned for them and they can't practice on their own and they can't experiment on their own, then perhaps um, we are developing a society uh, full of problem sol- people who are not good at problem solving and who aren't confident about taking care of things themselves. What do you think? I'm, I'm curious. Do you think our kids are less confident than they used to be? Or maybe are they more confident because they're told they're perfect all the time and they can do no wrong? Uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. I'm curious as to what you think um, about that. So while I'm waiting to hear from you, I want to talk to you a little bit about things that we can do as individuals 
when we're working with children, when we're working with teenagers, and maybe when we're working with young adults, and and how to find that sweet spot to help um, foster independence and self-confidence and develop competency. That's what we want, right? We want everybody to feel competent and confident and to be able to bounce back when adversity happens because certainly we will all experience um, adversity. So one of our earlier callers talked a little bit um, about uh, this just being there, being supportive is is important. Another issue is to stop controlling um, what's going on and maybe start coaching, start helping uh, an individual um, ha- about how to adapt these skills. You know, coaches help kids develop skills, but kids play the game. So your job, um, when you're trying to be that coach, whether it's a job coach or a personal coach or a parent, is to support that individual so that they can develop on their own. You can encourage them to move forward, but you can't do it for them. And so I think that's when we jump in too quickly and do it for an individual, it does not allow them in any way to develop a skill set, whether that's um, on a job and the manager always takes over and does it rather than coaching that individual. So um Stop controlling and start coaching is something that we all need to remember to do. Another thing is to remember that perfection should not be the goal. And if we keep pushing people toward perfection, then we're going to have a bunch of unhappy individuals. And perfection is often not attainable. So don't forget about that. Okay, I'll continue in a minute, but I want to get back to the phones. We have Cam in Batesville with a comment. Good morning, Cam. Yes, uh, I, uh, I was listening to you, and I thought about a, a quote from Thomas Edison. It said, uh, I didn't fail uh, 10,000 times. I found 10,000 ways that didn't work. And, uh, you know, I think that's uh, exactly you know, resilient and learning and and. Also, and also want to make the comment that uh, I think we're millennials or not. I, I think I saw a statistic that said that uh, millennials are not um, uh, really understand their their skills and abilities. <laughs> and I think that uh, uh, not realistic about them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think that kind of uh, 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 makes it difficult for a lot of them to, uh, you know, to, to respond and bounce back and learn. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and choose right uh, things that that fit their 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 likes, their dislikes, and likes and skills and abilities. Yeah, so I think that makes it a little different. Yeah. So. Oh, Cam, you have several po- wonderful comments. I want to emphasize uh, one thing that you started with is the Thomas Edison uh, quote because Thomas Edison was an Im- amazing model for all of us. He really did try things so very many times before they worked, and he he was a fascinating individual to to read about for me. And so I would encourage everybody to read about Thomas Edison because you're right he 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 said he didn't 
fail. He just tried things over and over until they worked. So um, your comment about, I don't know if I want to direct it just toward millennials. I I hear you. I I do think that a lot of parents of millennials worked so hard to make their children build self-confidence that they told them everything was perfect and they were the best and they were you know every picture they drew was the best picture ever and many times they didn't develop a realistic view of life and then they get to a job and all of the sudden their boss doesn't think they're perfect and (laughs) it's hard to adjust to that right and i and i had an experience and i'm not gonna go into details about it but i was uh, helping um, a relative uh, with their career uh, uh, choices, and uh, as I was going, as I was uh, helping them get into this school, and and I and it was just kind of like, and I, I wasn't sure if that was right for them or not, mm-hmm. but <laughs> the parent was encouraging like this: you could do it, you could do it, and I, and, I, and it wasn't in any like just look at what you are capable of doing. It was like you want to do it, you can do it. Uh-huh. So, Versus what is you, what is your skill and ability? What's your likes and dislikes? Right. You know, and so yeah. So a lot of times, I, I, I think. One point I want to expand on that because it's a good one is that a lot of times, um, parents. It, Kids will, um, young adults will not be sure about the the profession and not find a lot of passion in it. But parents will think that, oh, this is the best profession for them, and they'll decide that without looking at their true skill set. And the truth is, you do want children to think that they can do anything that they want to do, but there are some times when a particular profession may be the very hardest possible thing for them, and they may not be happy in it. So instead of telling them that they can always do everything, it might be a good idea to sit down and and talk over possibilities uh, um, instead of pushing them towards something that may may be very, very difficult. So, well, Cam, thanks for your call. I appreciate it. And and a couple of really great points. Okay, let's stay on the phone. Let's go to Homer in, is it Lyon? I don't know where Lyon is. Good morning, Homer. Oops. Um, Oh. Can you hear me? Okay, now I have Homer, and I'm afraid I cut our next caller off. I don't know why I'm having trouble with the buttons today. Sorry about that um, caller that I just dropped. Will you please call back? And Homer, yes, I can hear you. Uh, okay. It's, it's one thing that I, I have I've been listening for a little bit, but it's one thing that I actually see going on in society, and it's happening right in front of us. I mean, right now we, you're talking about parenting, mm-hmm. but what what is happening in society right now is, in a single parent household, you have another parent in there in a lot of cases, and then in a two family household, you have a third parent in there. And what I mean by that statement is, mm. there's artificial intelligence <laughs> that is influencing. <laughs> 
today's society of kids, and a lot of times the parents either don't know uh, because my grandson can work an iPhone and an iPad ten times better than I can. Excuse no, me. Sure. Old. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the, and the thing of it is, these gadgets are very impressionable, and uh, it is actually changing the way people perceive things and actually the way people think. And a lot of times, parents are not really clued in on this because, I mean, a lot of times the the AI serves as a babysitter or a pacifier. Um, I was in a restaurant, and this kid could not even talk, had her dad's phone. And when the dad asked her, let me use the phone, uh, this kid went livid. Oh, I mean, oh my. Just, it was amazing. And I'm sitting here going, this what? kid will never be. And see, you got a generation right now under 30 years old that has never been, never remember when it was not a cell phone. That's right. That's absolutely and, right. And, and and let me tell you something. I was a marketing major in college. I look at advertisement closely, and I try to see what advertisement is doing now because it's different. On the higher end, what you've got, okay, you've got this AI in in the house, and it's acting like sometimes a second or a third parent and mm-hmm. impressioning kids. And then on the other end, you got people like Google and Facebook who are selling ads from this standpoint. I'm selling you an ad. I'm trying to proceed to you how to proceed. Yeah. So, I, Homer, I, I, you are absolutely right on some fronts. First of all, that I, I've not heard it put as a third parent in a household with two parents. But, <laughs> but your point is a good one because so many times there is so much time spent um, on technology that, that children really get almost no influence from their parents. And all the influence is from what's going on on the Internet, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on Facebook. Um, or they're Googling information instead of learning it. And, you know, I, I think that your point is well taken. Also, in a restaurant, and I think we all have seen this, it's easier. It's easier to go to a restaurant and hand a child an iPad or a cell phone. They'll be quiet and they'll watch movies, but they won't interact. And so mm-hmm. once again, you have that lack of development of social skills if you're not careful. Exactly. And you so just hit the nail yeah. on the head. So what happens is you don't develop social competence. You don't develop the ability to to share your needs because it's all before you um, in on your screen. And so I um, we need to work on that. Is technology bad? No, it's wonderful, and it's changed my life in so many positive ways. But to get a handle and realize we don't need to let technology raise our children, we don't need to let it be that third parent, as Homer has just said. We need to remember to step forward and not always take the easy way out as we're moving along. 
wrong. And and honestly, if a child's always got his head in a laptop or a iPad or a cell phone, then they are not learning how to deal with day-to-day life. And we, uh, the whole object of the game is to prepare um, these young individuals to be able to live life, to be able to hold down a job, to be able to interact with other individuals, and to be able to ask for help when they need it. So, Homer, thanks for your call. You made some good points. I appreciate that. And I apologize. I believe it was Cam who I dropped. Please give us a call back. We're talking about resiliency, and I want to hear what you have to say. Be resilient. Call back. one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email to family at mpbonline.org. We'll keep talking about other things you need to do as you're moving along. Getting individuals um, to develop that resiliency and social competency. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about Resilience. Um, Building an individual who's self-confident and resilient can spring back from adversity and be able to survive the tough times. How do we do that? How can we help others do it? Is it too late when you're older? No, it's not. Um, But it may take a little bit more support as you're moving along. So join the conversation by calling us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Well, let's go back to the phones. Uh, We have Craig in Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, thanks for calling. Yeah, I was... I was thinking that maybe you could have some sort of uh, activity for, like, if someone's going to leave home. Are you still there? Uh-huh. I am. Yes. Okay. That uh, you could have, if they're going to leave home soon, you could set up, like, where they pay rent with Monopoly money. Or if they're going to build something, they could go to the store with you and pick out everything they need. Or, mm. you know, if they're going to bake something, they could do that. Yeah. Yeah, those are some great ideas just to developing, to help them develop competence. I think the game, you mentioned Monopoly. I think that Monopoly is a wonderful game um, so that um, you learn how to to use the money. You learn how to buy and sell. You learn that sometimes things don't work out for you. Somebody sometimes comes in and creates an at uh, a moment of adversity for you. Monopoly game playing um, for uh, character building sometimes can be really good. Craig, I think that's a great suggestion. Um, and it helps with problem solving and it also helps with um, 
mathematic facts and being able to learn how to right. add and subtract. Right. And, well, yeah. everyone practices. I mean, firemen practice putting out fires. Colleges practice for doing jobs. I mean, it's all practice. So this would be practice at home with parents with whatever you want to practice on. I think that is a great idea to, and you know, it's a great sharing in family time. And I, I know I, um, game playing is one of those things that I know, um, our grandchildren just love to do. And, um, it, it creates the inner, the face to face interaction. So think about an old fashioned game board. It's not a bad idea sometimes to do that. Um, and I think manipulatives having, having the, the money in your hand sometimes is helpful. Um, being able to count the blocks off. And I know you can do it online too, and that's fine too, if that's the easiest way. But sometimes the old fashioned game boards are, um, encourage a little more interactive play. So good suggestion. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. You could pretend to be a cashier or you could pretend Mm -hmm. to be the landlord or Mm -hmm. the policeman or or anything else. And, and, and that helps that's that would help with interaction. Absolutely. Good suggestions. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate that. Okay. So parents don't forget about playing games, let them sort of practice life before they have to go out and do it. Well, we still have a couple of minutes for a caller. If you'll give a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about um, building that resilience, building um, that confidence. So here's another way. We talked about should you let a let a child fail? Should you let individuals fail? And um, from what has been shown in emotional social development is probably um, not necessary to fail all the way. So researchers um, talk about emotional support um, as a scaffolding just like scaffolding that you you build beside a house that could be defined sort of as a framework that you give a child um, for them to build on. So you can give them, for example, if they're trying to work out a puzzle, you can give them some cues or maybe suggest a strategy, but not all the way. So give it a little support. Um, you sort of spot them and help them figure out what uh, maybe they can do next. So you're essentially giving that support, giving them perhaps a step, but you don't jump in and do it for them because that is where many times parents make mistakes. They, they solve it for them so the child doesn't, is not able to build um, on in a stepwise fashion. Um, the other thing we had one of our earlier callers mentioned that a parent was encouraging perhaps a individual to go toward a job that maybe they weren't able to do. You want to be careful not to set your child up for failure. Not you need to make sure that you're offering structure for him to succeed. So. 
if you think that there is a task that obviously you absolutely cannot do, do not encourage him to do that task. Perhaps encourage him or her to do something that is a step below that task. So to learn how to do it in more of a stepwise fashion. Research has shown that children who see their parents stand by and let them um, completely fail is is not positive. Uh, children view that as parents who don't care about them. At the same time, some research has shown that children do not appreciate parents coming in and stepping above them or ahead of them. So it's important to give support to remember to give support, but not to step all the way in and do it for them and do not set them up for failure. So that's really, really important. Um, The other issue is to encourage and to encourage, encourage as much as you can. Um, I see we have another caller. I want to get Timothy in, um, who's in Louisiana before. Timothy, we've got a couple of minutes. Tell us what your thoughts are. I'll make it quick. Good day to you. Good. Um, I would say the most important thing a parent can do is exemplify the the behavior they expect. You know, I learned to learn to I learned to learn by watching my parents study and learn. You know, and as far as I'm concerned, if you know, I will repeat what my father said. No matter your age, if you're not studying, you're falling behind. You know, Timothy, that's probably one of the the best lessons we could all have is you said exemplify, be that model, be a model of how fun it is to learn. You know, my children's um, 95-year-old grandfather would pull out um, a history book or pull out an almanac. I'll never forget this. And I, he would study and read about something um, his whole life. He studied his entire life and always loved learning new. And I think that instilled such a value in all of his grandchildren. Um, Timothy, you gave me a remembrance of um, that wonderful uh, man that I remember, my father-in-law. He was he was something. And um, so I think the last message was a good one, Timothy. Thanks for calling and saying it concisely. What we need to remember is if you are a good model of how to recover, of how to learn, of how to develop self-confidence, then then your children and your grandchildren and those around you will learn that too. So thanks so much for that final message. You you gave me my summary statement. I appreciate everybody for calling in and listening. And if you want to listen to the whole show, you certainly can listen to it on a podcast um, at mpbonline.org under Relatively Speaking. Um, I hope today's show, I want to thank uh, Jay White for engineering. Our call screener was Java Chapman. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. And that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.